0: I'm Marianne kolbisak mcgee Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to an increase in cyber attacks and cyber crime. Why is this the case? Today I'm speaking with Stanley Merzwa, who is Director of the Center for Cybersecurity at Keene University in Union, New Jersey, about a recent research paper he co-authored that examined these and related issues. So Stan, please briefly explain what your
1: research examined, and what were the key findings? I want to state that I'm speaking on behalf of a small collaborative team here at uh, Kane University in our Center for Cybersecurity. And the work that we did uh, co authored with Professor Lawrence Spath, who is in our Department of Criminal Justice, and Yasin Kristoff, who's an academic specialist and a recent criminal justice graduate student, partaked in this uh, work, and I'm grateful to their contribution. I also want to mention that doing research into areas and perhaps areas of unmet need is important to us here in the Center for Cybersecurity. You may not be aware, but our university uh, has recently been named New Jersey's first urban research university. So the work that we took on in this paper, it really resulted around the COVID-19 pandemic. And think about it, consider some of the unexpected activities that came up, such as who talked about social distancing or concerns about vaccine development, economics, masks. The pandemic has brought about lots of new unexpected activities. On that same front, there are areas surrounding technology that have evolved. And so areas of the pandemic that contributed to technology is the the fact that technology was being used more and more and growing in all sorts of things such as remote connectivity, communication strategies, telemedicine, digital education. Goodness, even activities such as if you want to, for example, myself, I recently want to learn more about pickleball, a common, you know, it's a a really popular game today, but in order for me to get uh, started with pickleball (laughs) with an indoor court, I need to use technology and sign up and register and enter information about myself. So the fact is we're using technology more and more. And because of that, unfortunately, cybercrime has also increased and could be considered one of the less positive effects of the pandemic. Perhaps it was even enhanced or facilitated by the growing use of technology. So our work took on the effort of saying, how can we in those that are in cybersecurity or considering cyber crime, utilize some of the strategies that those in the public health, the global public health domain use in their research to add value in understanding cyber crime a little bit better. And our paper, went on to outline some of the background regarding increases in crime, but more importantly, about strategies that are used in different areas uh, outside of law enforcement, for example, or cybercrime or cybersecurity research that could be utilized. Stan, briefly describe some of those techniques. So different strategies and technologies that could be valuable to obtain data on very sensitive topics. So think about topics such as acceptability and adherence to medication use, very sensitive topic, or topics around violence, sensitive topics. And so uh, my co-authors and I you know, sat down and we started to think, hey, cybercrime could be considered an area of a sensitive topic. Is it an area where a benefit could be made, researchers could entertain some of these Novel interviewing techniques. And some of them, which uh, we've been involved in personally, myself in the public health domain, utilize interactive voice response, inter- uh, utilize video. But some of these are called audio computer assisted self interviewing. ACASI is the acronym. And some of the benefits of this is uh, I could be somebody involved, let's say, in some cyber criminal activity or understanding the criminal aspect of it. Very sensitive questions. Uh, but I obviously don't want to reveal myself. I want extreme privacy. I want this to be done in a self-report. and I could be using a computer. It could be translated into locally accepted audio and languages you know with accents. Uh, could include the use of pictures and photos, color-coded graphics, But the benefit is it could be used anywhere in the world if you modify and customize the solutions to to work in different areas where different languages might be spoken. And that's an important concept because when you talk about cybercrime, it's really transnational. We've seen this time and time again. Many of the cybercrime activities may originate outside of your home country. Other areas could be video ACASI, so you may have video. One of the things we're starting to hear more and more about are the use of computer graphics, avatars, for example. So you may create an avatar in a, a digital representation of who you would like asking you the questions, for example. Not necessarily a person, but someone that you feel comfortable with asking you virtually these questions very sensitive questions around cybercrime. And let me just state, one of the things, the paper that we put out on this topic around surveying strategies that could be considered in cybercrime research, you know, some of the pushback we got is, well, how are you going to get criminals to want to respond to questions or those involved in cybercrimes to respond to some of these questions? Well, and, and it's a valid question. Who would want to actually talk about what they actually do or understand? But if we don't start, if we don't give it an an opportunity, we might be missing a pretty decent amount of research that could be used to prevent cybercrimes. So our call to action is, hey, we need to at least try to understand how these cybercrimes come to fruition, how they're learned, perhaps why there's inspiration to commit them, in order to be able to put in place better defenses.
0: Stan, we've seen a lot of ransomware attacks affecting all segments of the healthcare sector during the pandemic, from small clinics to large medical centers, to pharmacies, to specialty practices, but also government health departments. Why are criminals targeting these institutions, including the public health departments, and what are they trying to get?
1: You know, one of the things I like to resort back to is an idea of around criminological theory. It's possible that the pandemic, in this case, has the opportunity to reduce certain types of crime. Early on in the pandemic, we have seen certain crimes, there were reports of them dropping, but then in other areas, increases, and ransomware was one of them. And so there's a theory in criminology called routine activities theory. And this was written about by Cohen and Felsen, all the way back in 1979, but it really resonates with our current issues around ransomware. And what this theory states is, there's three requirements for a crime to occur. Number one, you need a motivated offender. You need a, number two, a suitable target. And number three, absence of capable guardians. So let's think about a cybercrime or ransomware, for example motivated offenders exist for a myriad of reasons. They may see vulnerabilities in humans. They may see vulnerabilities in systems or really big topics. One of them was the vaccine development. Think back to when these were first being developed. Well, not all that long ago, we're talking just a short couple of years now, but cyber criminals found opportunity to infect those organizations working on vaccines with ransomware because they knew that, well, there was the opportunity that they would be paid because these organizations working on vaccine developments certainly didn't want to stop the work they were doing and may even just pay the ransom. So number one, there's offenders. Number two, suitable targets. Think about, again, cyber crimes, growing use in technology. As I mentioned earlier during the pandemic, there are more suitable targets that have evolved and more attention that's been given to certain areas. As I said, because of the pandemic, more people working remotely. And then the absence of a capable guardian. So what does that mean? Bad actors are utilizing methods of breaches or attacks using tools that we utilize every day, right? Email, social media, social networking applications, for example, websites. So think about phishing, smishing, spam. These all come through very simple applications and with vulnerabilities such as those clicking on links to maybe install malware or to be hit with ransomware or provide information to to a, a bad actor that you really didn't want to provide does make it easier for them. And it really is an absence of capable guardians. We often talk about in cybersecurity, technical defenses, layered defenses, defense in depth, Well, some of these events, cybercrime events that have evolved, many of them could be the result of the human aspect. And we hear this over and over, but for those who may not understand, that's the last line of defense when it comes to cybercrime. It's the person or persons involved.
0: And so, Stan, what are your recommendations in terms of what healthcare sector organizations can do to better defend against the rise in cybercriminal behavior during covid and other large-scale events? A
1: few things that we would recommend. The pandemic is ongoing, we realize that, and it's altered the world of cybercrime. And it's expected that such events as malware, infections, and ransomware will continue. We realize that. So some of the recommendations for organizations, and these could be from the more complicated to the more simple, But one of the things I would recommend and more so on the more complicated area first is cyber threat intelligence, a function for those organizations. And this does not have to be very large. You could start slowly. You can assign an individual on your team who might be quite interested in researching threat intelligence factions around cybersecurity. But there are so many alerts that are received both manually and automatically daily. And it's important to have a central figure or commander be able to coordinate this knowledge flow and action to those in your organization. So especially around the human aspect of social engineering, as we talked about earlier, the phishing, the smishing, spams, making those in your organizations aware about new threats. And this is important for a lot of reasons, because if you have a threat intelligence function, you might be able to selectively focus on information that's particular to your industry. So for example, you mentioned healthcare. If I'm in this role of cyber threat intelligence, I wanna focus on those aspects of cyber crime related to healthcare. I may not be as interested, but I could be in other areas of infrastructure such as electrical power distribution or water, but at the same time I might be. But So it's really important at a high level to have some sort of threat intelligence function. Moving down the chain to the more simple. You know, when we hear this over and over again, you know, that simply having ins- and ensuring you have good backups of your systems, store them independently from your system, for, uh, you know, for example, in the cloud and different parts of the globe as well for your systems, you have to ensure we see this over and over. And I think organizations might be feeling a little bit uh, fatigued by this, but you need to check your software and systems for updates. This is so critical. Because there are oftentimes these critical alerts around cyber security threats involve updating systems. You need to strengthen your home networks. I would, for organizations, we have staff working remotely, provide guidance to them about their home networks. You may not be able to crawl into their house and ensure their firewalls are working well, but put out some guidance about some best practices. And this, quite honestly, could be helpful to your family including children who might be doing schoolwork from home about staying safe online as well. You know, the list can go on and on around cyber defenses, but I would start with intelligence and work your way down into the operations.
0: And finally, Stan, looking ahead in 2022, any top cybersecurity-related predictions, especially as they relate to the ongoing pandemic?
1: One of the things, and and just to get back to the, the research that we've done around introducing different research methodologies or strategies, surveying techniques for cybercrime research. I think we need to get down to the sort of what, uh, and I'll use a quote here from recently the well-known and famous uh, Desmond Tutu, who's the South African bishop and theologian who recently passed away. But he did leave us with many inspirational quotes. And one of them he stated was there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. So in that same vein, could we learn a little bit more about cyber crime? Is there some opportunities we're missing in learning more about how these threat actors operate that will allow us to put in place better defenses? So I hope that over the next year, several years, greater research is done around a cyber crime. Other things that I think are happening, and this is very positive, uh, some of you may be familiar with Interpol. This is the International Crime Police Organization. It's made up of 194 member countries, and it's an excellent center point when dealing with cybercrime because of because of cybercrime's transnational nature. This is an area where I think they're putting attention, more attention uh, with systems. They have something called their Cyber Fusion Center. And they're bringing together cyber experts from law enforcement and industry uh, to gather and analyze evidence better and information on criminal activities and then reporting it out to countries. I see them doing even more and this being uh, a value to on, on a grand scale. We're talking about the globe here with cyber crime being more involved. I think greater awareness continues. We see this more and more. I don't think a week can go by when I put the news on and I don't hear about a cyber criminal activity. Getting the public to pay attention, I, I say this to my students in my courses here at Kane University every semester, is that, you know, my goal as you come out of these cyber courses is that you look at the world a little differently when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber crime. Their awareness is important. They're the next generation. They will be working in organizations to protect them from cyber issues, but they're also the ones who are going to be able to come up with better solutions and their awareness is extremely important. So I hope the next generation of cyber security experts will continue to get better than the, on a defensive side, than the cyber criminals.
0: Well, thank you very much, Stan. I've been speaking to Stanley Mariswab. I'm Ann kolbisak McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.